So Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9. So as we begin reading in verse 5, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I remember when I was 17 years old, I was in a senior in high school. I got a bit of an attitude about myself and decided that I was calling my own shots from now on. In order to prove that, I started pushing all the limits with my parents and started breaking all the rules. And then when I'd get punished for breaking the rules and they'd tell me, well, you're, you're grounded, you got to stay home, I'd say, no, I'm not. And I would leave. I'd find places to go purposely to not be home when they got home to show them that I could do what I wanted to do. I knew that this would come to a boiling point because no, no home can operate that way. And I knew that my dad wouldn't tolerate it for very long. And so I found another place to live. So when I pushed the buttons too far, my dad finally said, look, if you, if you leave this time, don't come back. So when I left, I left with some bags of clothes and some things with me. And I went to stay in the house of a friend. There was a, a few young guys that had graduated a year or two before me that were living in one of their mom's house who'd moved away. And so I rented his basement. And so I was sleeping down in this concrete, unfinished basement with the washer and the dryer. And as you know, young bachelors, they don't always think ahead on their clothing. So a lot of times those things were running in the middle of the night while I was trying to sleep. But anyway, I was my own man now, calling my own shots being my own boss. It didn't work out too well. Pretty soon I lost my job, got thrown out of school for a few days. So I wasn't making the best of decisions, obviously. I was playing the part of a fool. And one day my dad stopped by the house that I was living in and I got in an argument with my dad and then he left. So it was it all happened in front of several of my friends and we were in the kitchen. I remember sitting around the island of the kitchen after my dad left and my friends looked at me and they said, Greg, what are you doing? You should go home. And they were right. I had a good home. I had a great home, loving and involved parents, nice house that we lived in, good neighborhood, good. I had a great life and a, and a good home. And it was what I was doing was foolish. It was to my own detriment. It was to my own harm. And, you know, as I thought about it, sitting around that counter there with them, I thought, you know what? They're right. This is stupid. Now, I knew that in order to go home, nothing would change. You go back under dad's roof, you go back under dad's rules. That's the way it is. So anyway, I went out and took off over to my parents' house and, and I said, uh, I'd like to talk to you guys for a minute. And so we went up and sat around the dining room table and I said, I'd, I'd like to come home. And my dad says, nothing changed. Come back, same as it was before. In fact, I think I might have still been grounded. <laughs> and I said, I said, I know it. That's okay. I'm good with that. And so I went back home and finished out my, my senior year and everything. And, and life was much better. Well, as we get to the book of Hebrews, that's kind of what we're dealing with here in this in this passage is these people are looking at they're looking at turning and leaving home they're 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 looking at walking away from their savior they've trusted in Jesus Christ as their savior and they've been following him but that following him has brought some hardships in their life and they've undergone some persecution and they're they're being ridiculed publicly by people some of them have been in prison lost their homes and possessions you can read about those in chapter chapter 10 if you'd like to but they've gone through some hardship and because of that they're looking at going back to that old testament way things go back to the tabernacle turn their back on Jesus Christ and as the author is writing to them 
he's arguing with them that, you look, you can't do that. You're better off, just like with me. I was better off at home. So you're better off with Christ. You're better off being faithful to God, even if it costs you some suffering. And we looked last week at the passage that told them that they really needed to anchor their life into the Word of God. They needed to trust these this teaching that they got that started, spoken by the Lord, confirmed by the apostles that had heard Him, and testified by God Himself through miracles that they were able to accomplish. So you really need to lock into that. You need to anchor into that and stay faithful to God. Well, notice right at the beginning of this verse, in verse 5, he's continuing that statement. He's continuing that line of reason. Because it starts with the word for, which connects it to what came before it again. It says the reason, part of the reason for that is it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Now, to pick up in the middle like this, it might seem a little confusing. But if we remember back to what we've covered, basically what he said is that we need to be faithful to Jesus Christ in the gospel, we need to anchor ourselves into that Word of God because, and he's been comparing Christ to before in the Old Testament, we had the message that was spoken by prophets and mediated by angels. But Christ is so much superior to the prophets because he's not just a prophet of God, a servant of God, he's a son of God. And he's so much superior to the angels. And then he started giving reasons. To which of the angels did he ever say, you're my son, today I've begotten you. To which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Now, he's given them a few verses of warning that we looked at last week. And then he's going back to it. He's going back to that comparison with the angels. And as he does, he brings up a passage from Psalms chapter 8. So he says, for it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come. That's his point. Look, angels, he didn't tell them, you're my son. He didn't say, sit on this throne till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And now he's going to say, he didn't put them in charge. He didn't make angels the boss. He didn't put them in charge. And then what he's going to do is he's going to quote from Psalm 8. And he he doesn't specifically point out where it is. He knows where it is. He obviously knows it very, very well. He quotes from it word for word out of the Septuagint. But he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, it can be a little bit confusing because of that title, Son of Man. As you know from reading through the Gospels, that is the title that Jesus used of himself more than any other title. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. If you look back in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, it used the term Son of Man as a messianic title, a title that would refer to the Messiah. But there are other places in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that use that term to refer to just people. Ezekiel is called Son of Man by God, for example. And so it doesn't always mean Christ. And I don't think it means it here. And when we look back at Psalm chapter 8, what is happening is David is looking at the creation of God. And he's looking at the planets and the stars and everything around him. And he's looking at the vast creation. And you know how you feel when you go out on a starry night? And it's nice and clear. I love it, especially when we're out camping, like on an island out in the lake. And there's no street lights out there. And you turn off the lantern and everything is dark. And sometimes I've just laid even on a bald rock and just lay up there and just look at the stars. And it's just phenomenal. But you know that feeling you get? Like you're just looking at this vastness. When you, I get that feeling when I look at that. I get that feeling when I look at the ocean. I get that feeling when I'm on top of a mountain, like uh, where I grew up out in Washington State, when we go up in the mountains and you get up on a mountain peak and look over just miles upon miles of forest and mountains and mountain peaks and ranges. And I get that feeling of, wow, 
I am small. This is so huge. And then uh, my thoughts always go to God at that point. And I think, God, you have got to be so amazing. I'm seeing a tiny fraction of what you've created. And it's enormous. You've got to be just incredible. Well, that's what David was doing. David is looking at the creation of God and he comes to the same conclusion that we always come to. What is man? What is man that you're mindful of him? I remember I was on a men's retreat one time out in Washington State up on um, um, Mount Rainier. And uh, we were camping up there and I climbed up to this one peak where you could oversee and you could just see for as far as you could see in any direction it was mountains and forests and I thought boy how easy it would be to be lost in a place like this and then I thought God knows right where I'm at he knows I'm right here on this mountain peak at this time thinking these thoughts he knows exactly where I'm at and that's what David was overwhelmed with he was saying you know what why why does God know where I'm at when everything is so huge and so enormous and there's so many billion people on the planet and why does why does he care why does he give any attention to us little things when he's so vast and awesome and powerful. And that's what David was thinking through. He's saying, what is man that you're mindful of him? And then he says, in the, or the son of man. I don't think he's using it as a messianic title. I think he's just doing it like you'd say, son of man, son of Adam, son of... Just a human being, I think is all he's talking about. He's saying, why, why does God mindful of us? Why does he care? Uh, King James translated that word care as a visited. It, it's, it has the idea of caring, but it's an active caring. It's a, it's a matter of getting involved in the issue, getting involved in the person's life. And he's saying, why is God mindful of us? Why does, why does he care about us? Well, in the process, he makes some statements about mankind that are pretty amazing. He says he crowned us with honor and glory by putting everything in subjection under us. We've got to follow the flow of thought here a little bit. David is going to look at the glory of man in order to prove the glory of Christ. And so he's showing that, look, we need to follow Christ. We need to cling to Christ. We need to, to continue to hold fast and faithful to the word that we've learned about Christ, which started with him. And the reason is because as we see the measure of mankind, the honor and the glory that God gives to mankind, and then extrapolate that out to Christ, we see the glory of Christ. Now, we're going to see it in three steps. So as we look at the measure of man, it's going to take us three steps to get to understanding better the glory of Christ. The first step that we see is the glory of man. It says, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you, that you care for him? It says, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And how did he crown him with glory and honor? By putting everything under his feet. And so what it's talking about is back at the creation. We looked at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth and so he's even pretty repetitive during that short little passage but he says he created man in the image of God and then because man is created in the image of God, he put man in charge of everything that he created. We're in charge of the animals. We're in charge of the birds. We're in charge of the sea. We're in charge of the land. We're in charge of the plants. We're in, we're in charge of everything. We're in charge. That's why we, mankind, we make our laws on, on how many deer you can shoot in a season or how many fish you can catch in a day. We make laws that, that, that 
govern pollution and things like that because God has put us here and we are to manage His creation. We are to subdue it. So we are to take control of it. We're to, I think that means that we ought to be using the natural resources that are out there as well. I don't believe in what, you know, they usually have a breakdown between what they call preservation and conservation. Preservation says that, oh, we preserve everything just the way it is. In other words, you know, stay out of the woods. Just leave the woods to be the woods. Conservation says we use it, but we take care of it. In other words, we're going we're gonna to log the trees and we're going to use them to make our houses and we're going to use them to make paper and we're going to use them to make products like that. But we're also at the same time that we do that, we're going to, we're going to replant. We're going to replant and, and grow new forests. You know, we're not going to allow them to just get old and dead and fall down and catch fire and burn the forest up. We're going to use the resources and we're going to protect those resources. We're the managers. That's what we're doing. We're subduing. We're exercising dominion over those things. In our day, we're ne- when we're looking at trying to understand mankind, we don't usually compare them to angels quite as much anymore. That's what he's doing in this passage. He's saying, look, to the- he didn't put the angels in charge. He put mankind in charge. And then Jesus is the ultimate man. And in fact, he came to redeem mankind. And so he's in charge. And so that's where the authority belongs, not to the angels. You know, in our day, we wrestle more with the uh, idea of finding where man fits in the animal kingdom, right? I was just talking to our kids at Awana this last week, and we were talking about man being made in the image of God. And I said, you know, don't let anybody tell you that man's an animal. I hate it when people refer to us as animals. We're not animals. Now, of course, we are mammals in that sense, that we breathe air. But we're not, we're not just an animal. There's a distinction between mankind and animals. Of course, there's some similarities. We live in the same environment, and we're created by the same creator. So there's going to be some similarities. But think about the differences. We're crying out loud, where do you see in the animal kingdom the concept of a school? I don't mean just a school of fish swimming around together, but I mean actually gathering the young people together in order to teach them for instance, these principles in order to teach them. We learn, we learn each other's languages. We, where in the animal kingdom do you see um, coming up with uh, arts and poetry? Where do you see them decorating home? A bird's nest still looks like the same bird's nest that have been being built for thousands of years. Not the case in the, human, <laughs> in the human experience. But we learn languages. We invent things. We discover. We come up with electricity. We come up with indoor plumbing and, and heating sources. And You don't find any of that in the animal kingdom. I would say there are a few similarities. The differences are vast. And we're to be in charge. Why do we have this glory? Why do we have this honor? In the Bible, it makes a very simple statement. God gave it to us. He's the one that created us in His image, and He's the one that crowned us with the glory and the honor. So because of that, we are an authority on what happens to the animals and to the environment and to the, to the plants and everything that's, that is around us. We have been crowned with that honor and glory by being put in authority over the rest of God's creation. It's not only for now, because notice he says the world to come. It's not unto angels that he subjected the world to come. He's looking back into the past at the creation and mankind's position on this earth, but he's also looking forward to the world to come. Well, we'll get to that in a few more minutes. But angels, angels, in contrary to that, are not the boss. They're not put in charge down here on this earth. They actually are servants. In fact, we saw in chapter 1, verse 14, that they are, are messengers. They're servants for those who would inherit salvations not rulers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, it actually tells us, do you not know that we are to judge angels? So I'm not really certain what all that's about, but uh, the Bible tells us that at some point in the future, we are going to sit in judgment upon angels. And I don't know if that means that, you know, the Bible indicates that there are angels that are sent to serve us. And so in other words, they're, they're orchestrating things in our life, trying to be a benefit to us. Maybe we're going to decide what kind of job we think they did in our life when we get to see all the ways that they were involved. I don't know. But the point is, they're not 
the beings that God has destined to rule. They're the beings that God has destined to serve. Mankind, however, is destined to rule. He put us here and put us in charge of the entire planet that he put us on. But then, not only do we see the glory of man, we also see the fall of man, the fall of humankind. Because as we look at, at what happens, he, say, he acknowledges something. He says, right now, we don't see him in control. And we got to recognize that that's kind of true, don't we? I mean, we, we definitely are still involved in the process. We, we, we're making those hunting and fishing regulations, environmental regulations, all those different kinds of things that we're involved in to try to manage the place that we live. But he says, as we see it right now, we don't see mankind really in control of everything. And we got to recognize that. We recognize that, you know, for the best that we can do of predicting the weather, we still got get caught off guard. And we have we have weather, weather patterns that come through and just destroy huge areas with the floods and the tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes and all those things that take place and that happen. We get sicknesses that we didn't anticipate. We can be in the height of our success or in the, the very spring of our youth and something catches completely off guard and we have to deal with something we never even thought about having to deal with. All these things just speak to the fact that we are not really in control. So many things can happen. I think back even to financial things. Look at what happened to the stock market way back in the, what, the 20s or whatever when they had the stock market crash and people ended up committing suicide because of their financial, their future had looked so bright and now it just was all taken away from them in a, in a heartbeat. And there's so many things in this earth that we experience, so much suffering and illness and, and pains and, and relational breakdowns and different things that we experience that just shout loud and clear, you are not in control. And the reason for that is sin. I'm not even talking about specific sin. I'm not saying that there's a certain sin in your life that's caused a certain problem. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes our sin in our, in our lives do lead to certain problems. You can definitely see the connection. But I'm talking about just sin in general. The fact that we live in a sinful world and that this world is underneath a curse. We learn a couple things that from the fall of mankind that there's two different elements that have come in to our being in control or our being the boss in this world. And one of the elements is Satan. Obviously, when we gave in to the temptation of Satan, when Adam and Eve gave in, and all of us have done it since, but when Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation of Satan, they relinquished some control to him. Because now what we see in the Bible is we see him talking about the world as not necessarily being under our dominion, but being under his dominion. It says in John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So Jesus is talking about Satan, and he refers to him as the ruler of this world. Also in John chapter 14, and verse 30, he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. And he refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. So somehow through that temptation and our falling into it, we gave Satan a foothold in this world. We gave him exercise of dominion in this world. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, he'd say, if we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We deal with this. We don't always see it with our physical eyes. But we deal with this in our lives from day to day. Ephesians chapter 6 would warn us. 
It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so he's encouraging us to put on the spiritual armor because we're up against the authority, the dominion of Satan in this world. So as we try to exercise dominion and we try to make rules and we try to be in the control that God gave us in the beginning. A lot of that's been given over to Satan. But it's not only because of Satan's foothold in this world. It's also because of the natural effects of the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, God cursed them and this world that we live in because of sin's presence in it now. And so like if you think about with Adam, now he was he was keeping the garden. God said now you're going to have weeds that are going to want to grow better than the plants. And now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work. Now it's going to be a struggle. Now when you fly over big parts of our earth, there are things like deserts and, and wildernesses that you can't really grow much in. And that wasn't the case, I don't believe, in the beginning. Because those weeds and the thorns and the thistles and those things would come as a part of the curse. Well, as we look in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, it's pretty revealing. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. Now, that's pretty cool. Think about that. What is it talking about? The revelation of the sons of God is talking about when Christ comes back and and we get to be glorified. We get to be caught up to be with Him. Or if we're dead by that time, we'll be resurrected to be with Him. But we're going to put, put aside sin and we'll no longer be in the presence of sin. We'll no longer have a sinful nature. Nature. The Bible says that all of creation, not just mankind is looking for that, but it says all of creation is looking forward to that day. It goes on to say, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So if you look through that passage, you're saying not just us are under the curse of sin, all of creation. In fact, it speaks of all of creation groaning. You know, whenever we have a tsunami that hits or a, or a hurricane that hits or a tornado that hits, people often say, why? Why is, why is this happening? Why would God let that happen? You know why? It's because creation is groaning. Creation is under the curse of sin and it's groaning. And it's looking forward to the day of redemption when all this is over. It's not just humanity that's affected by it. It's the, it's the entirety of creation. And so that's why, our, just like God told Adam, your job's going to be hard now. I, I gave you dominion over the earth. You've been having a good time working in the Garden of Eden, keeping the garden. Let me introduce you to weeds, right? Has anybody ever had a garden that the, that the plants would ever actually outgrow the weeds? I haven't seen one. Not that I'm big on gardening. That's why I'm not big on gardening. The whole creation is groaning because of the fall of man, our exercising dominion. We're not in our rightful place. We're not the, the bosses that we're supposed to be in this creation, rem reminding us that all the time, subject to God, we're to be managing this creation under the authority of God. point is that we're to manage God's creation under His authority. But we can't, we can't be that. It's a constant fight. It's a constant struggle. That's why we got doctors trying to treat illnesses and trying to find cures to diseases that we have. And, and that's why we have people studying farming, trying to find different uh, 
pesticides to get rid of pests and things to get rid of weeds and make our crops grow better. And that's why we have all these different things because our job is hard now trying to exercise that dominion. Then it brings us to the last step and that is to recognize the redemption of man. Because he's saying, look, God didn't put angels in charge. He put man in charge. And then as a man, Jesus Christ, that makes him in charge. In fact, he's going to be the one ultimately in charge because of what he comes and does for mankind. As we look at the last part of verse 8, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see, this is the first point part in this part of the passage that it points at Jesus. Before it was pointing to man. Look, God put man in charge, put everything under subjection to him. But we don't see everything in subjection to him now. But we do see Jesus. And Jesus came as man. He came and for a little while was made lower than the angels. To do what? To taste death for everyone. To redeem mankind. To restore us back to that rightful position of exercising dominion. Of being, having everything in subjection to us. Of being in charge. Setting it back to what it was supposed to be. He redeemed us. And in that we see the glory of Christ. Because He Himself occupies the position of mankind. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus suffered death, rose again from the dead, and now He's exalted because of that. And He's sitting on His throne at the right hand of the Father. You see, He's in charge. He's exercising dominion. He's in the place of mankind. You know what? That is really so much the point here. Because notice what He's saying. He says, it's not to angels that God has subjected the world to come. He's looking to the future. And He says... Right now, we don't see us in control. But the point is, he's pointing forward to this world to come. That's where faith kicks in. Because you see, these people in their own lives had to recognize we're not really in control here. People are taking our house. People are taking our possessions. People are throwing us in jail. People are making fun of us, uh, ridiculing us in public. I don't feel in control in my life. And he's saying, that's right. You don't see it in control right now. But you know what? You need to hang on to Jesus Christ because the world to come is going to be very different. That's right. All through the Bible, we can see that pointing to this world to come. We're supposed to be living in light of this world to come. Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Send them on ahead. The world to come, right? In Hebrews chapter 11, when he gets there, He's going to list all those heroes of the faith that we've mentioned a couple times already. And he's going to say, why were these people able to do it? None of them received the promises while they were here on earth. They aimed for the world to come. They aimed for a, a city whose builder and maker is God. They were willingly trade what they had here for what they can have there. That's what we're focused on here. This world to come, we're going to be restored to our rightful position. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. Skip to Revelation chapter 5. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Notice that. He says, You, talking about Christ, you have redeemed, you have ransomed all these people from off of the earth. And what is their future? And they will reign. Again, be 
back in the control, the exercise of the dominion that God intended for us to begin with. And finally, when we get toward the end of the book of Revelation, when all these things are starting to take place, in chapter 20, in verse 4, it says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. All of his followers that have trusted and followed him and sacrificed for him, all those things, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be reigning, the Bible says repeatedly. And so the the dominion, the honor, the glory that God created mankind with to begin with, we see it in Jesus Christ, and we're going to see it as he has redeemed mankind and is now sitting at the right hand on that throne, we're going to be there ruling and reigning with him. The glory is going to be reestablished for all of mankind that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you see, it's because of this that he's saying we need to cling to Jesus Christ because the world that you're experiencing now where you're getting mocked and you're getting persecuted and you're having struggles and, and you're having sufferings that you have to deal with, this is not how it's going to be forever. This is how it is for now. But the world to come, we need to latch ourselves onto that one. We need to trust in that one. If we do that, we're going to cling to Jesus Christ right now. We're going to hold to the surety of His Word and anchor ourselves into that. We're going to recognize the glory of Christ as we look forward to the glory of man.